0: Welcome to Cigar I'm history. telling
1: you. I, you you're just, falling just, down on me. You just launched right into it. Well, <laughs> well, a little behind the scenes, we were actually using the microphones like a cone of silence here for a few <laughs> minutes to talk about somebody.
0: That's <laughs> a nice thing about having your conversation feed through a mic and headphones. You can pretty much talk about anybody in the shop, and no one will hear you. Yeah, you can just talk nice and quietly, and it still comes through. Especially since, now, I have a feeling you're going to agree with my wife on this, but there are basically two types of deaf people. There are the people that whisper because, they're, because they can't hear themselves, and there are and the people that shout because they right. can't hear themselves and they overcompensate. I didn't realize this, but apparently I'm the kind that shouts. Apparently my speaking voice has gotten louder as my hearing has deteriorated. Would you say that that's true? No, I think your voice carries well. Huh.
1: And I'll, I really do. I think your voice is in the fact, you know, when I'm in the cigar shop, and Glenda's at the front of the shop, and I'm in the bathroom. I can hear everything she says. Yeah, and it's not because she speaks loudly; it's because, well, and it may also be that my right my ear is tuned to my wife after being together. It's like for when you can years.
0: hear Ace bark over other dogs at the right. park. Right
1: when I hear when I hear a bark, I know if it's Ace or not.
0: Glenda, I was not comparing you to the dog. I want you to know that.
1: <laughs> but anyway, so. Just yet So let's light our cigars And then I want you to give me Your Puerto Rican experience All right
0: Why don't you tell me You, you put this cigar in my hand I know the rep was just in here I'm I'm interested in this So um, A good friend of ours Is currently
1: Talking guest about Guest of the show Yep, yeah, Guest of the show He's working with this company And um, When I seen the, On social media That he was starting to rep this cigar I said You know I'm going to go see What this company's got to offer and this is the cigar that stood out on my radar. And it's Don... Rod- or excuse me. It's Rodriguez Olivon Cigar Factory. And this is the blood of Vlad. This is all Transylvanian tobacco.
0: I would not have expected the climate to be conducive to growing cigar tobacco.
1: They get one harvest a year. And the story that the rep was telling me is that the... um. The owner was in Transylvania, and he's seen tobacco growing, and he said, what, is that tobacco growing? And they said, yeah, and then he got some of it and took it home and started experimenting with it and created this cigar. So I'm excited to try this cigar because i kind of been excited to try it since I read it on their website.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. I just... I, I... I'm going to admit right off the top, it's drawing a little tight for me, but it is a box press, so I'm expecting that to open up as we get through it a little bit, as it warms up. Um, I, I love seeing cigar recipes that challenge our perception of what a cigar is going to be, where it's going to be from, what it's going to taste like, that sort of thing. It's why I like unique shapes and Vitolas. It's why I like, you know, unique uh, fermenting processes like Anduyo or fumoncorta. And so I'm I'm really excited about this.
1: Well, you know, we're, we're cigar nerds at heart. We're going to try anything that comes across our palate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to be. I think it's very enjoyable. If you're listening to a podcast about cigars, you're probably a cigar nerd too.
0: Right. So speaking of which, uh, interesting thing happened to me in Puerto Rico this past weekend. So among a lot of things, we had an absolute blast. We walked around Old San Juan, which is the closest I've ever felt to walking around in Europe, outside of Europe. I mean, the, the history of the island and its importance to the settling of the new world and military presence, even as recently as the Second World War, is really, really fascinating. And I absolutely bored uh, my, my co-travelers to death as I made them t- not only one day, but two days tour the fort at Old San Juan. Did you go to the Yunque rainforest? We we weren't, it was too short a trip for us to get out there, but we all agreed that we're not done with Puerto Rico, and next time we go back, that's what we're going to do. Uh was, you know, it was a long weekend. We flew out Friday. We caught the first flight out at 5.15 Friday morning. We were actually up awake and leaving the house at 2.15. Uh, so that made for a brutal travel day. But, and then we, we flew out. Uh, midday on Monday, so we really only had two solid days uh, of exploring to, to get through. But we we packed a lot in. But what so uh, people who follow us on social media saw that I I found a cigar shop or two, and and what was really nice is you know just like in the islands, you know every restaurant has a little patio and they're fine for you to smoke. So you know walking down the street, I'm smoking cigars and and enjoying myself, but. So my brother-in-law is not a huge cigar smoker, but he enjoys one occasionally. He probably smokes three to six a year, I would guess. And they had gone on vacation to Punta Cana, Dominican, uh, a year or two ago. And he has a humidor at his house, so he, he keeps them. And he, he had, at that time, he had picked up a couple of Cubans while he was there, but he had also had some, hand roll, some Dominican hand rolls that they had at the resort there. And he brought the Cubans with him. He was like, we're going to sit out on the beach one day. I'm going to bring the Cubans. You can tell me if I got had. Now, we've talked about this on the show before, about what the etiquette is. And, you know, I, I basically told him, you know, 80% of Cuban cigars on the market directed towards Americans are counterfeit. So if you did get duped, it's, it, it happens to everybody. Don't worry about it. Um, and I'm looking at it. It was about a 56 ring gauge, which most Cubans are not good. It may have no. been 54, but it was still big around for a Cuban. So that was my first kind of, and it was unbanded because the woman, when he bought them, took the bands off so that he could get through customs. There is no doubt on my mind, and I told him this, I was not a Cuban. That was 100% Dominican tobacco. If as I live and breathe, I'd stake my entire reputation on it. But when I tell you it was one of the best cigars I've ever smoked in my life, and I'm not talking, I'm not just because I was on the beach on vacation. It was Monday before we left. We went out to the. We had late checkout, so we got to the beach in the morning. It had that really savory back of the throat salivating. Um, but with just really rich, smooth flavors. I went into the humidor here today looking for something that I knew would get close to that, and there's nothing in there. It was it was awesome. I was like, you did not get a Cuban, but whatever you got, man, it's good. Well, you know, if I was going to try to counterfeit
1: it to Cuban, I would definitely use a Dominican cigar. The Cubans, See, I would use Nicaraguan. Well, the Cuban cigar is known for being a little lighter cigar. It's not known for being super
0: strong. No, but it does have that spiciness that I get way more out of Nicaraguan. And you balance it, right? You probably do a little bit of both because I was trying to explain it to him in simple terms. I said, basically, Nicaraguan tobacco is going to be a little bit spicy or peppery and it's going to dry your mouth out. Dominican is going to be very savory, very rich, and it's going to make you salivate. Cuban tobacco is going to be the best of both worlds. It's going to be very slightly spicy, kind of peppery, but it's not going to dry your mouth out. It's going to make you salivate. That's been my experience. And, you know, I have less problem
1: with a company getting a good cigar and, quote, counterfeiting it as a Cuban... Than a company that just gets
0: a dog turd and counterfeits it as a Cuban. Well, and, you know, the, the place he bought this was on an all-inclusive resort. So I imagine they're vetting their vendors, right? Because you don't want to create a bad experience. Cause... But in my experience, I've smoked a handful of counterfeit Cubans in my life. I've never had a bad one. It's never been a bad cigar. It's just not been a Cuban. I've had more bad construction
1: issues from fake Cubans than bad flavor.
0: I wonder how much of that is handling by the person who bought them, especially knowing the individual who's given you and I a handful of, of right. fake Cubans. You know, I, I don't always trust that the person protected them in the on the way back and handled them correctly, and I think that's where most of that comes from.
1: There's probably a lot to that. So um, I have to tell you, I had a—before we get into the actual news— I had a psychic experience in here on Tuesday. All right. Um, it, was, it came in, so we're in the process of vetting cigars for perhaps a private label cigar company and all that that to be part of. And so we had a guy bring us, he brought us four samples of cigars. Because So if you're going to put together a private label, just to kind of get a little insight on it, if you're going to put together a private label, Your best bet is always to get a cigar somebody is already making. Right. Because if you get it that they just haven't put a band on and started selling or anything like that, because if you go and do a custom blend and then they got to put them in production and then you got to buy 5,000 of them and then, you know, so forth and so on. It's always better to find something that they've kind of got a sleeper. Mm-hmm. that they just haven't found a place for in their catalog. Right. To bring that in to become your cigar. Or some of them will do re- retired blends. Right. And also, the one of the guys brought us, one of the vendors here brought us four to try, and I was sitting smoking the first one. It was excellent. It's very savory, great cigar. And I was making my notes on it, and I wrote down, tastes like a Camacho Corojo. Has remnant of a Camacho Corojo. Because I always... When I'm evaluating a cigar, I'm going to evaluate the, the look. I'm going to evaluate the flavor. I'm going to evaluate the construction. And I'm going to put in there kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah. And I put and I wrote down in my notes, tastes like Camacho Corojo. The guy sitting next to me gets up, walks into the humidor buys a Camacho Corojo, comes back out, and sits down and starts smoking it. <laughs> and this is a guy that I've been here numerous times. He's a regular regular. Never. And never touched a Camacho Corojo the whole time I've been
0: here. So it was, it was more than a psychic experience. It was a telekinetic experience.
1: Yes. I'm. You I'm, changed the will of man. I'm, I'm beginning to take control. Slowly but surely, I'm what a rosy control. future for us all. <laughs> so if if you start if you start feeling like I'm impressing upon you my values, <laughs> by all means, go with it. So okay, first article: El Septimo to open third cigar lounge in Tucson, Arizona. This is from Bakersfield.com. And are they on your side? The, well, I, well, they're a newspaper. I only do that for for uh, TV <laughs> stations. Um, they are. El Septimo has made probably the biggest push in the cigar industry of any company I've ever seen.
0: And I know you were kind of slow to warm to them.
1: I was. I was really slow to warm to them. Um, Almost like they were trying too hard. Mm. You ever have that? Yeah. But, you know, at the show, they had the biggest booth. They had the $3 million lighters. They had the $200,000 bottle of cognac. They had the... Security guards, they, you know, they're, they're going full bore. They're trying to take Davidoff's market share. Right. They want to be the next Davidoff.
0: They're trying to throw their weight around with money.
1: Right. And I'm really, um, but their cigars are good. Yeah. Um, the, the Yao and the um, uh, the other one, the Purple Label one, I'll have to I'll remember right. the name of it here shortly, um, are very good cigars. They're a little high on the price index for them. And their cheaper stuff is not that good yeah. to me. They're kind of they're st- they're striving in that twenty plus cigar twenty dollar plus cigar market. Yeah, and I was actually reluctant to bring them in here, just because, padrone money, mm-hmm. the padrone money principle. If I can right. have a Padron, why am I going to buy your cigar? Right. But the rep Joe is a great guy. He's worked very hard. He did a poker night with us for Matilda. He's worked very hard to always be bringing new stuff in. Um, they're winning me over. They're kind of getting over the hard way. But can a cigar lounge that only has one brand of cigars
0: stay open? So in general, I'm going to say no. That is a, you're, you're, you're climbing into a niche market, which is very difficult to succeed in, and you're doing it the hard way when you choose to do that. Now, obviously, if you're the brand, that, that's different. You've got a little power behind you. Um, the exception to that is if you're making the cigars in-house. There is a place in Austin called Babaloo Cigars, and you cannot buy anything that they don't make in-house. But when I tell you they've got 60 facings of different levels of different recipes, different sizes, that sort of thing... They've got a full humidor, and it's only stuff they produce in-house. That's the only way that works. Well,
1: the El Septimo lounge will have 42 different blends. Okay, wow. So it's not like it's just going to be 10 or 12 facings. they got 42 different blends.
0: And it'll be stuff that I'm sure there will be a handful of things you can only get in their lounge. I'm sure. Um, They don't note that specifically
1: in this article, but I'm sure they will be. And um, I'll be interesting to see how this experiment pans out for them. If they're able to do that I wouldn't ever frequent a cigar lounge That only had one brand of cigars Because I like variety You know, and we had a We had a brand of cigars Under the previous ownership here That for a while was the only thing You could get in the humidor For various reasons And people hated it People absolutely I've never seen such ire From the cigar crowd Right And now, even though that's a good cigar You can't give one away in here Nobody's going to smoke one of those in here and it, so I'm interested to see how this whole experiment turns out for them.
0: I was interested to find that it's actually, I misspoke earlier, it's not El Septimo that's opening the shop. They're partnering with the guy who's opening the shop, and he's agreed to exclusively sell El Septimos for to at least to start. Uh, that's interesting.
1: That is. That's a lot of faith in the brand. It really is. That would be a tough sell for me. That That'd would be, be a, me too. If I was opening a cigar shop, that would that would be a tough, tough sell.
0: And I would imagine Tucson's a fairly competitive cigar market.
1: You would think so. Yeah. But, I, hey, more power to them. I hope it works out. I'm, I'll be ex- excited to see what happens. Yeah. But in that same vein from Half Wheel, the 2022 awards Company of the Year. Half Wheel awarded the Company of the Year this year to Drew Estate as a company. And they make mention in the article about... Um, They're always innovating. Their marketing with the freestyle live events is very innovative. They just came out with the blackened, the Metallica cigar. Mm -hmm. And they're always innovating. They're always moving forward. So I can understand that about Drew Estate. I can understand how he came to this conclusion because I do think Drew Estate's a great brand.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, in particular, I don't think – now, we're spoiled in this area because we have the greatest Drew Estate rep in in existence – in perpetuity in, in our region. So we, we get a lot of the best parts of the brand represented here. And and we always have, even before he well, took over. It's amazing. I'm I'll, I'll, sorry
1: to interrupt your thought. I'll go get back to your thought. But I, I want to make this point. We used to have the most amazing rep I'd ever done business with, Jeff yeah. Tanell. Jeff, unbelievable, amazing. And Kyle Davis is who we're talking about. I want to give Kyle full credit. And when Kyle took over, I said, man, that's a... Those are clown
0: shoes to fill.
1: Yeah, that's huge shoes to fill. But, man, Kyle has filled them and ran them over.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I was getting to is just, you know, we were spoiled before, and now he's just taking the ball and run with it. And I think, really, as far as their cigars and their events their live events. I don't feel like they've done as much as we're used to from Drew Estate. But the incorporate the adaption to the COVID uh, protocol that was required for various municipalities and just the industry as a whole, they handled that beautifully. And the roll back into sort of face to face events, I think changing the model to be more uh, approachable on a national level. When I think about it from that point, yeah, it really does make sense that Half Halfwell would have given these guys this award.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, by no means of what I'm about to say next, am saying Drew Estate is less than deserving of this because I do think they are. But what parameters, if you were, if we were going to announce a cigar company of the year for the Cigar Cast, what parameters would you
0: want to establish? If, if we're branding it as the Cigar Cast company of the year, right? I'm looking at the the greatest number of cigars rated six or better in that have come out in the year. So so and that includes innovation, right? Um, changes in their approach that, that help them to stand out. So McAuliffe and the ambassador program, for example, or Drew Estate with the Freestyle Live. So brands that are innovating the way they reach the, the marketplace and then i mean i'm also going to look at at phil- philanthropic endeavors within their communities so we talked a couple of weeks ago about building schools in the towns where their factories are located and stuff like that and i want to see i want to see big impact from the brand on the global stage those are the three things that i'm looking at
1: so i'm i'm different I want to look at... I don't even need them to have the best cigars in the humidor. I'm looking at, are all their cigars consistent? Is the construction consistent? Is the flavor consistent? Is the quality consistent? Is the price appropriate to the cigars in which they're producing? Their marketing um, being solid, not necessarily flashy, but at least solid at all. You know, I'm, I'm obviously talking about Perdomo. Right. Because everything they do, they do really, really well, but they don't do anything really, really out of the realm. Their marketing is like their
0: cigars. Consistent. Yeah, just yeah, right dead on consistent. But, but with that as the criteria, then they win every year. Well, someone could aspire to that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, what's I get the point, point of
1: making these lists if not to have someone aspire to see to excel in them? Yeah,
0: but the, you're also the guy that would give the cigar of the year to Padron every year if I'd let you. So I, I get that. I I want to from an award like this. I'd like to see this. Like I'd like to see people pushing the envelope, whether they whether they hit the mark or not. I'm really more interested in trying, in seeing yeah. the attempt.
1: I can see that, but, but congratulations, Drew Estate. I yeah, think that's well a, deserved. Well deserved, and a great move of that. So, I want to talk about Cavalier Geneva. Um, we got Cavalier Geneva in here last week. So, our Joe that reps for Septimo also is our Cavalier Geneva rep. Okay. And he brought in some Cavalier Genevas, and Mark and I sat here and smoked them with him. And I'd had them before. They had offered them at the place in Murfreesboro, and I'd had them before but had never made it into my rotation just due to availability because I'm not in Murfreesboro that often.
0: You know, I think the first shop that got them in in this area was Smokers Abbey, and they've had them for years. I've never smoked one.
1: Well, they've got the gold. So their gimmick is the gold leaf. They've got a golden diamond in all of their cigars, and as you smoke it, you actually smoke through that golden leaf. And that's kind of a cool gimmicky part of the cigar, but the cigar is sound. Um, what attracted us to them was the majority of their cigars were in the $10 to $12 price range. Yeah, they're priced
0: very economically.
1: Their price range was right. Also, they had a $13 Solomon, And you know wow. how hard it is to find yeah. a $13 Solomon. So we ordered in four facings of them and just ordered a couple of boxes of each facings, and we set up a poker night. They're going to do a poker night here next week. And we were discussing it, and I said, okay, do we have enough Cavaliers left to do the poker night? And he looked, he said, yeah, but just barely. Do I need to order more? I said, no, let's let's smoke through with our clientele all of the Cavaliers we have, and then let's see if people ask for them back. Yeah. Let's see if people request them back, because to me, that's the gold standard. And the good thing, we've cultivated a crowd here that has no problems saying to one of the owners and one of the owners is always here saying hey I want this cigar in the humidor and very responsive to doing that so I'm interested to see how this experiment pans out for us with the Cavalier Genevas but they're also releasing the Trace Dillon Quintes at the trade show at the TPE show coming up we'll have to talk about TPE sometime All right. Um, but these now don't have the gold leaf on them but And they've got some very
0: um, colorful boxes. Yeah, marketing-wise, it's, it's a, a big step out of the box for them. But I
1: do like what they did with them. So inside of them, they have a um, San Andreas Maduro, a Habano, and a Connecticut. And they're all the same blend with just a different wrapper on each blend.
0: That, that's a really, from a marketing perspective, that's great. Because who wouldn't want to taste the difference the wrapper makes on the same cigar?
1: It's good because as you're selling them, you can tell people, hey, these are all the same blend, they just got a different wrapper. Tell me which wrapper you like best. Tell me how this feels best to you. I think that's a good piece of marketing they're doing there for these. You know, and they're coming in, the Toro's at about seven and a half. So check your local sales, States Tell Sacks. Here, they'll probably be $9 cigars. And um, I'm really excited about them coming in. And that's one of the things I told him. I said, hey, let's see if we can get the Delasantes in there after we sell through the ones that we got. Because the ones we've got, we've got the Solomon, which is excellent. We've got the Viso, which is very good. We've got the Connecticut, which I haven't smoked yet because it's right. a Connecticut. And I just had not got around to it, but my wife really likes the Connecticut. Excellent. And they've got the United States only cigar, the U.S. Standard. Okay. And the U.S. Standard is good, not great. It's right. probably the one that's going to leave the humidor and not come back for a little while. I got gotcha. you. But I think this, um, the Trey de la Santé's blend is probably going to end up being, um, and I know I'm mispronouncing that, and I apologize. Delinquentes. Um Delinquents. Delinquents. When the delinquents get in here... <laughs> <laughs> they'll, be, they'll feel right at home. And, then, <laughs> and trying them in that means, I think, is going to be very interesting for everybody in here to do that. So just a little inside baseball, because one of the things that I get to do here is help keep the humidor fresh. Yeah. Humidor fatigue is my biggest complaint with any cigar shop. And the way to keep the humidor fresh is got to be, okay, you know, you got to carry your big box stuff. You know, you're going to have your Drew Estate, you're going to have your Perdomo, you're going to have your Altadis, you're going to have, you know, those. But the stuff that's a step above that in price, not necessarily in quality, but in price, is where it's fun to kind of get people something different. Yeah. You know, if you got a guy that smokes a Perdomo four days a week, but on Friday he wants something different, it's nice to have that something different.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to step away for a minute. And when we get back, we've got lots of more content, uh, including the obsession with the Chinese Zodiac. So we'll be back with that more after this.
1: Back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey, and today you get a special. You get two bump jokes. Okay. The reason you get two bump jokes is because one of them's just for me and you, the man for whom today earlier I real ruined grilled cheese sandwiches for life, Mr. <laughs> Trey Dedman, <laughs> and then the other one, the man who's read dozens of books about heroes and crooks and learned much from both of their styles. <laughs> Is that not one of the greatest it, lyrics in song history?
0: It, it is one of my favorite, one of my absolute favorite. Um, also from Pirate Looks at 40, my occupational hazard is that my occupation's just not around. I yeah. love that one, too. Um,
1: also from um, a Warren Zevon song, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me, he was a credit to his gender. Yeah. Or she was a credit to her gender. The, the other version, the Terry Clock version, said he was, I hope someday to be referred to as a credit to my gender. Right.
0: I can almost assure you, you won't. <laughs> Perhaps get compared to
1: a wearing blender. <laughs> so, moving back into cigars. Um, Placentia Cigars celebrates Year of the Rabbit. And this is another Placentia... Is really going all in on this super expensive, super luxury product cigar line?
0: Well, you know, think about it this way. I was I was thinking about this when I walked in the humidor today, and I saw a, a thirty-two dollar cigar from a company who has no business making one. And I don't remember which one it was. It was right in the humidor on the left. Maybe it was a twenty-five dollar cigar, whatever it was. And I started thinking about it, and I remember, you know, when I started smoking cigars, the Padron anniversary was, I think, 15. And that was stupid money for a cigar. Who's going to pay $15 for a single cigar? Now that's mid-range. I think what this is, is Placencia is hoping, well, let me take another step back. But if you notice, Padrone is not nearly as far removed from the midline as they once were. Like, they've had some price increases, but it's been much slower than some of their uh, counterparts. Whereas Camacho used to be about a $4 cigar, now it's a $9 cigar. You know, they've doubled in the course of the last 10 years. I think what Placencia is doing is, let's, we can both admit they have a product that is of the utmost caliber. They make extremely good cigars. They package them well. They you know, they do everything right. I think they are trying to position themselves in the market where, as other people are creating this price point with some one-offs, they're going to be able to resist price increases for the foreseeable future and let everybody come up to them. So they're going to normalize... Thirty to fifty dollars cigars. I think that's what they're trying to do.
1: It's an interesting theory. Um, I would rather think that they're doing these limited releases to make enough profit on them to maintain their bottom line, so that they don't have to raise
0: the price of their core line. That's you know that's that's a fair point too. But when their core line is already close, if not at twenty dollars, how much is that really worth?
1: yeah their core line, even their um one forty sixes and one forty nines are still just a little above the average right so their their prices are a little high they're worth it i don't I'm not saying they're not worth the
0: extra couple of shekels you put down on one but for most people, if you put down those extra couple of shekels a couple of times a week, it adds up really fast
1: oh yeah, yeah can make a big difference, and then also the other. The $1,000 Aura E.P. Corilio You want to
0: Xing take another Zao? one with
1: that? I say xingzhao 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 Limited edition And this is All of the Chinese Zodiac In 12 cigars At a cost of $83.33 per cigar And Okay I've had it Davidoff I've had it with La Placencia I've had it with E.P. Carrillo, I've had it with everybody in the Chinese Zodiac can we let the Chinese Zodiac go? So here,
0: here's the deal. Here's what I think. How many things happen every year consistently that you can co-opt for a limited edition? So looking at, looking at Placencia, they did the World Cup cigar, right? You can only do that once every four years. If you're looking for something kind of in the ethos, in the zeitgeist that you can co-opt as a landmark for your annual special edition release. There's really not a whole lot out there. So lazy marketing. Well, not exactly, because it's a known quantity. It, it attaches to something that's recognizable. Um, is it a little bit lazy? Sure. But... If the NFL didn't hold such a strong copyright on the use of the term Super Bowl, do you not think every single cigar company out there would create a Super Bowl cigar every year to come out right in January?
1: Yeah, and the NFL's missing a ton of money, as is the NCAA, in that every year they should release a Tennessee and Alabama cigar. Yep. Yep. And you can walk in and know who people are rooting for by whether they're smoking a orange band or a maroon band. They should release a Kansas City Chiefs versus Jacksonville Jaguars cigar. And they're all missing a ton of money in this marketing. Looks like some entrepreneur in the cigar industry would negotiate these rights in such a way that they could make that happen.
0: The other thing, I think, uh, that you kind of get to there is there, it's really difficult to navigate the the social constraints around tobacco's reputation. So for a private company, especially one with the NFL, where everyone's always talking about how your employees, the players, are role models. So you want them to be modeling ideal behavior and the backlash that would happen if the NFL was co-signing on tobacco use. So that's why they don't touch it, if I had to guess. I would
1: say you're probably right, but I also there's enough. You know, you look at the cover of Aficionado this w- this month has all the Fox News guy or Fox Football Saturday guys on their smoking cigars. Yeah. So I think the cigar is actually you know I've always said I, the thing I hate about pot is somebody made it a folk hero. Right. But cigars are kind of becoming that that folk hero type status though not really folk I don't know what you what kind no, of hero you call they, it it
0: ebbs and flows right because and we've talked about it ad nauseum that it, it was cigars were an every smoke at one point and then they became the robber baron the monopoly guy kind of associated with high society and aristocracy and then in the 90s they became more of an everyman thing again and then it, it goes through that that ebb and flow I think it's, it's an acceptable counterculture. I think it's a counterculture for people that aren't edgy.
1: Counterculture is probably a good term for it. Yeah. That's, that's probably a very accurate term, you know, not subculture because we don't want to pay real estate. But right. Counterculture, probably a, probably a good term for what we experience. And, you know, the number one thing people are shocked about that have never been in a cigar lounge and come in the cigar lounge is the culture. Right. The culture of everybody sitting there and the things we discuss and the conversations we have, at least once a week in here, somebody comes in and they sit and say, yeah, when I get home, my wife's going to ask me what we talked about at the cigar lounge. Yeah. Because we're always talking about something, you know, space travel, physics, dark energy, Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, we're always talking about some of those those cutting-edge scientific discoveries that are just waiting to happen. (laughs) So... (laughs) We're we're always working in that direction.
0: No. well, What's the the most common thing you hear when somebody walks into the shop? Oh, you guys solving all the world's problem? Yep. If I had a nickel for every time I'd heard that.
1: Yeah. Folks, that's not as witty as you think it is. (laughs) So I think people think that's a little wittier. I think we've all heard that before.
0: My go-to response is always, nope, creating them. I
1: always said, yes, we've solved them. Now we need you to
0: apply. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We would like you to sit down here and figure out a plan for (laughs) applying. Sign up for committee. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about 84 lumber. You sent me this uh, this earlier today and I almost got you in trouble with it.
0: Yeah. Well, so I was I miss newspapers. I really I I know this will not surprise you because I'm an 84-year-old man in a 36-year-old's body. But I love a physical newspaper. I love being caught up on the news because I feel like you get a lot more it has to. Be, it's not the 24-hour news cycle. It has to be distilled into what can fit on the page. So you get more accurate reporting. You get a, a, a really, like, a, a, a bookend in time. You know, whenever this went to print this morning, that's what the news was. And so both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are currently running a special where you get their online edition for a dollar a week for a year, which is a great deal. It's normally like seven bucks a week. I do miss my physical paper, but anyway, so at my house, we're now subscribers to both the New York Times and Wall Street Journal because my wife and I couldn't agree on which one to get. And so I was reading the Wall Street Journal this morning. and They're doing a... Hold on a second. Which one were you for? New York Times. New York Times. It's why, my favorite newspaper. Why was she for the Wall Street Journal? Because it's, it's more in tune with the things that she's interested in. The Wall Street Journal does delve into politics, but it has more to do with the economics. And I like the politics. I don't like politics the way we think about arguing about policy. I like the actual way our government works and the way things... Like, I like the sub, the, the the scholastic approach to politics. So that's why I like the New York Times. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. Um, that and the crossword puzzle.
1: I, I just had to know. I had to know which side you were on. I'm
0: surprised you couldn't have guessed that. Um... So they, I, they. It's like an obituary of sorts, and it's a story about Joseph A. Hardy III. This is the guy who founded Eighty Four Lumber. I've never heard of this guy. You know, Eighty Four Lumber is not. You're not going to see it in every town. I think we have one in all of Tennessee, out in near Teleco Plains, Madisonville area. There's one in Murfreesboro. Oh, okay, but they're they're not. Oh. I, I know. Yeah, I know where it is. Anyway, it's no frills. It's just the guy was a, a son of a mail clerk or something like that. Just you know, comes from an unassuming background. But what I find interesting is he was just such an eccentric guy. He, when he died, he had his his trademark cigar in his hand because, of course, he did. Um, he had. Known, though known for frugality in business, he once purchased a British royal title, Lord of the Manor of Henley and Arden, for the equivalent of about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't realize that lordship worked that way. Um, but then he would hold mock royal receptions at his resort, which was his resort was his property that he bought uh, in Farmingham, PA, just outside of, of Pittsburgh. Yeah, Nymacola. Yeah. Um, The thing that I found interesting... So, in 1997, at the age of 74, he made headlines when he divorced divorced his first wife and married a formal personal assistant in her mid-20s. Kenny Rogers sang at their wedding reception, which featured a 12-foot high cake. In all, he was married five times and went through four divorces. So, this is a guy that made it till 74, loving the same woman, and then decides with the last 26 years of his life, he's going to go through four more. Right. The That's more, a wife every four years or six years. The, you know,
1: I guess he finally decided if he was going to sow his wild oats <laughs> that
0: his time was running out. Right. And, you know, at 74, the, the second wife thought she was signing on to the cash cow oh absolutely and then you know six years later she's like well I, this guy's never gonna die so the, the third wife is like oh well i can ride this out six later six years later nope i can't make it the next <laughs> i'm just seeing viagra in a candy bowl oh, you know it. Um, but I, I just found that so funny he died on his 100th birthday how often do you think that happens
1: yeah, that, that's that's timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's timing at its best. So there's a couple of things I've been thinking about today because you sent this over to me early this morning. One, um, I've done business with 84 Lumber for a lot of years. Yeah. And I loved 84 Lumber's model. 84 Lumber's model was a metal building and a big red ball. Yep. Put a big red ball with 84 on it, that's your sign. Metal building, concrete floors, You come in there, it's a place for getting business done.
0: It was intended specifically for enthusiast DIYers and contractors. It was never meant for the people who go to Lowe's and Home Depot. In fact, they tried that for a while, and he was hemorrhaging money because we're going back to what works.
1: Yeah. Which I admire
0: as a businessman to realize that he had strayed from his original purpose and went back to it.
1: And, you know, that's one of the things I always talk to my customers about is no, you're not going to buy your framing package at Lowe's. Right. Your builder has a relationship of a lumber company. They have a relationship of a window company. That's part of what you're paying your builder for is the relationships that they have built to build your house. Yeah. And 84 Lumber always protects those relationships well. I'm email twice a week with the 84 Lumber reps for my builders, and we're always talking about, okay, what can we do here? How can we do this different? How can we do this better? Excellently well-ran company. But the second part of this, if we get to the more lascivious segment of this, have you noticed how many more people are getting divorced with 30-plus years
0: of marriage lately than there has ever been before? I heard a really interesting or a, a real funny take on this. And it's, yeah, because women are allowed to get bank accounts out.
1: Huh? <laughs> well... I wonder if it is just like we you know alluded to with the Viagra, I wonder if the health care and aging has accelerated to the point where there are more options in
0: your later years. I think that's part of it. You know, there's a retirement community in Florida called the Villages right outside of Orlando and it's thousands of acres of total planned community they started building it in the 90s and they still have a progression plan on pl- on part or on track until 2050 like that's how um and it's the highest prevalence of stds per capita in the country yeah lots of pineapples <laughs> on the porches lots there. of pineapples on the porches and so i think it's a, i personally i think it's a couple of things i think we're living longer and we're no, you know, at 74, you're not looking at hospice, you're looking at, you know, what cruise you're going to go on, you know. Um, I, and I also think there is still a very strong... Divorce is not, doesn't make you the pariah it once did, but right. there is still very much a keep it together for the kids mentality that's pervasive among families in this country. Whether that's for better or for worse, it just is. And so I think you stay together for the kids. Well, you know, let's stick, we've got this other thing. Let's get the house paid off so that we don't have to worry about, Or we, da, 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 and then you get down the road, and next thing you know, looking at retirement, you know, if I don't get to go to the office every day and get away from this person, then right. I'm not going to want to, you know, I, I think there's some of that.
1: There's probably some of that. There's a combination of all those things. Um, also, so the pineapple thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll just show that listeners don't feel like we're excluding them. Um, there's a urban legend. I don't know if this is true. No, fact. it's true. Is it fact? Yeah. That in the retirement communities, and actually there's a community here in Nashville, that if you put a pineapple on the porch, it means
0: you're open to swinging. Yeah. it's It, it has become the sort of international symbol for swinging or swapping or anything that kind of falls into that if category. you ever
1: move into this neighborhood, I'm gonna put a pineapple on your porch no. every day
0: till no. the day I die. It, I guarantee you. In all of the cruises that you've taken, you've you've seen the people who decorate their door on the cruise ship with yep. a pineapple. Got a little pineapple on the door, a little pineapple on the golf. How
1: did pineapple become the symbol for
0: that? I would so, love to know. I I believe it was the English aristocracy that started the use of the pineapple because pineapple was, was uh, an exotic fruit and so it was pretty much excluded to the people who could afford to travel to faraway places but it became a symbol of hospitality just meaning that people were welcome in their home and then I guess if you're welcome in your home you're welcome in my marriage or w- whatever but I think <laughs> it's, it's a it, it, it gets extracted from that So it comes from, from an
1: English s- sign of hospitality Yeah, I, I, Let me tell you I'm I'm a southern gentleman. I believe in hospitality and taking care of people, but that's there's a, a lot too far. <laughs> Come to my house, I'll give you a cold drink, I'll feed you a meal, but that's as far as we're going. Right. But if ever I got a buddy that lives in one of these neighborhoods, I'm putting a pineapple on his porch every single day.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. Although I will say one more thing about eighty four lumber just because I think other people will think this is as interesting as I did. I always thought that eighty four Pennsylvania was named after 84 Lumber. Like, I, I thought that they named the town after he moved his... No, apparently it was always called 84 Pennsylvania. Nobody knows why it was given that name, but that's why it's called 84 Lumber. It was the other way around. I've always thought it was backwards.
1: Well, you know, I, had to, um, I got to visit... 84 Lumber actually sent us to a golf tournament in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, at Nima and all as part of one of their, you buy so many sticks of lumber from them and you get this free right. trip deal. And me and dad got to go there. They actually on that golf course have a lion habitat with lions. Oh, wow, that's cool. And all, yeah, I hit a Callaway <laughs> ball in there and decided it wasn't worth it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Y'all need to keep up the pace of play or else. Yeah, or else we'll release the lions. <laughs> release
1: the lions. <laughs> but it was a cool feature for a golf course as yeah. you go out there and you, you just wonder, we need to look up one day how many people have got ate by that lion on a drunken ball, <laughs> golf I, ball vent.
0: I'm actually more interested in how many people have been kicked out because they were drunk by the time they got to the 12th hole and intentionally tried to hit the ball into the lion enclosure. See, they,
1: yeah, because that fence around the lion enclosure is like 25 foot tall. It was a big fence. There, there was no chance Leo that's was going to get degree out. a 60-degree
0: wedge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no chance Leo was going to get out and eat John Daly. Right. <laughs> anyway, okay. One last story, and I'll, I think this is the last one we got. Wyoming lawmakers considering phasing out sale of new EVs, new electronic vehicles. Um, you know, everybody that's listened knows my view on electronic vehicles or electric vehicles. They're the laser disc of our age. And Wyoming's starting to phase them out, and it's for very practical reasons. One, their connection to gas and oil.
0: Yeah, the primary driver of their, their economy is gas and oil.
1: But also, it's just not practical to have electrical vehicle and electric vehicles in Wyoming. But shouldn't
0: the market decide? If, if somebody who lives in Laramie decides to buy a Tesla knowing that they can't get anywhere from Laramie on a single charge. Shouldn't that be up to their own stupidity?
1: Yes, if it worked that way. But the guys that buy Teslas are the guys that would be complaining, why don't you put in more cha- charging stations? Why don't you make more charging? Why don't you- Why aren't you more environmentally friendly? How many Even- of
0: those folks do you think are living in Wyoming, though?
1: That, well, there's, there's, a, there's a little... Clouds of liberalism in Wyoming,
0: but at the same time, like I, so the thing is, all of the electric infrastructure, much like when they were expanding gasoline infrastructure, is is being done by private parties. It's not. I mean, there are some grants and things out there from the federal government, but it's it's not on a state level. It's all being done through private. Private enterprise. Well, I, 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 I personally don't care what Wyoming does. I'm not going to drive out there in an electric car. But it does seem weird to me that there wouldn't that it wouldn't just be a self-correcting problem.
1: Well, they're phasing out the sale of electric vehicles in Wyoming, and I do think that's a government overreach. I do, you know, me, I'm in favor of the smaller the government, the better. Right. But I also understand saying. Okay, if you buy an electric car, it's on you. Don't be... Because exposing the myth that electric cars are somehow going to save this planet is very important. Exposing the problems with batteries and the disposal of used batteries and the disposal of all the elements that come from it and the foreign dependency on elements to make batteries and exposing that this is not the sweet little deal that we're trying to be sold to. That it is that the the problems of electric vehicles are ever a bit as prevalent as they are with gasoline
0: engines is very important. But I, well, that's a I'm I'm not going to get into that because you and I disagree pretty pretty strongly on the topic. I don't I don't I I think it's important to continue to drive innovation forward, and you have to you have to iterate in production. Otherwise, there's no there's no driver for progress. Without the laser disc, we would have never had DVDs and Blu-ray. You have to have the laser disc or that other stuff doesn't happen. You have to have EVs in their current in their current design and their current uh, benefits and and downfalls in order to get to the next thing.
1: I don't think you do. I don't see how you I mean companies are going to innovate People are gonna you know, we're going to see in our lifetime, I have no doubt, we're gonna see we're gonna see innovations beyond the internal combustion engine.
0: No one's gonna develop the technology to recycle lithium if the only thing we're using lithium for is cell phone batteries, because there won't ever be enough to make it marketably viable. But as the usage of lithium batteries in cars becomes more and more prevalent, then all of a sudden it's financially viable to sink the R&D and everything else into finding ways to recycle it. So
1: create a problem in hopes that somebody makes a solution or well, th- trying but, but to but it's force not the- somebody to make a solution? I mean, it's not just the batteries. You know, during the cold spell here last year, you know, two months ago, we had rolling blackouts.
0: They were planned rolling back blackouts, and the draw on a current for an electric vehicle is not creating enough of a load. that, that was, That's what got scapegoated. That is not the problem. The, the, the problem is grid. that we've had 100 people a day moving to this area for the last seven years, and our infrastructure is not such that it can handle the volume of people we have living in the places all staying home at once. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're charging a car, because using the oven has a has a greater draw on the current than it than it the EV oh, does. There's
1: no way. There's, I can tell you, I build houses every day. You've got to put a different size service in a house if you're going to have an electric vehicle. You don't have to put a different size service in a house to have an electric
0: oven. But that's just because you need a 220 to get the fast charging. That's not because you need
1: because a 220 you, to plug an
0: oven in. But I'm saying you have to have the service because. Houses haven't ever been equipped with a 220 in the garage. That's that's my point. It does. You don't have to change anything coming into the meter. Yes, you do. No, you don't.
1: Yes, you have to put a bigger service coming into that meter at a different kilowatts. I deal with it every day. That's part of what we have to deal with every day is people that have electric cars having to have a larger power draw coming in. That's, that's fact. We have
0: that happen every single day. But at the same time, we're talking voltage, not amperage. I guarantee you, if I turned every light in my house, ran all of my appliances and the blow dryer and the thing and a space heater and a space heater in another room and my computer with my six monitors i'm I'm creating more more amperage draw than I am from the car even at even at one ten so you're going to get the car and then not run your appliances as much my My point is that the the excess load on the infrastructure by the increase in people and homes and apartment complexes is having a bigger drain on the substations and what we're able to produce than it is the 1% of people that have an electric car.
1: But if you're going to encourage people to get electric cars, you're going to get up past 1% and those numbers are going to change.
0: But I'll tell you what, most of the people that drive and own electric cars, especially in this area, are not doing it because it's going to save the planet. They're doing it because it saves them money on their, on their gas bill commuting to work every week. That's, and that's the whole thing, right? It's, it's, no one ever does anything for purely altruistic reasons. It's all because it saves them money in the here and now. Well, it certainly helps.
1: It certainly helps. And this is one of those things that we get to agree to disagree on, and that's okay. I wanted to enter, engage you on this because I did want to hear the other side of the story, and I always appreciate it when you do that at all so tell me about the blood of vlad you know
0: it's unlike any cigar i've ever had before i and i if you had asked me to describe it or what my expectations were i wouldn't have been able to give you anything i i don't know what it is that makes it so different but i can tell it's not dominican cuban nicaraguan or honduran like there's but i I can't tell you what it is about it that's different. It's just a very unique flavor profile.
1: It is, I like it. I do too. I'll, I'll start out by saying I like it. I do think it's a good stick. The draw opened up for me, so I'm happy yeah. about that. It's not a overly full stick. i definitely put it in firmly in the medium range. Uh,
0: from a nicotine perspective, I would. Flavor-wise, I'd go medium full or medium plus. There's good complexity in the yeah. flavor. I like the complexity in the flavor.
1: I like the mouthfeel. I like the wrapper. The construction's been excellent. I've burned good and even all
0: the way down. I would like it to produce a little bit more smoke.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't, be a, that wouldn't hurt a thing. And I guess it's probably hitting me as medium because it is so much less sunlight. It's probably hit this tobacco than any other tobacco I've smoked That's fair. today. And and I've been smoking way too much today. I was about today, to say, already. this
0: is a rare occurrence where I came in with a relatively fresh palate I smoked one cigar at 1 o'clock, and that's all I've had today, whereas you came, you smoked one right up until we started recording.
1: Yeah, well, I, I smoked one that was an experiment, and then I, the rep come in, and I had to smoke a couple with him and try a couple of different blends of his, and I'll never get used to laying down a cigar with only smoking two inches of it. Yeah. But when a rep's in here And he's saying Here try this Try this Try this That's what you gotta do I gotta do it I, gotta, I, I try to get I try not to judge a cigar till I get two inches of it smoked mm-hmm. And a lot of times I try to smoke down to the band To really get a good judgment But if I get one that I don't like I'm probably closer to the two inches Than the band
0: I figured out The best thing I can compare this to And it's gonna sound like I'm saying this as a negative But I really don't mean it that way Fry oil I can see that. Like, like, um, it's Friday. A, a fish fry. Like, like, it tastes. It doesn't taste like you just t- took a swig of oil, but it ta- It it's got kind of a fried, kind of a an oily, you know, not greasy, but like a yeah. It's hard yeah, to describe. It's it's
1: a, it's a unique experience. Yeah, I like it. Um, the question is always, would it? fall into my regular rotation? I don't think it would. I think it would all depend on price. Yeah. Because as I was arguing with the rep uh, before, you know, on one hand, we look at the price at thirteen fifty. dollars Okay, I'll smoke it at thirteen fifty, dollars probably a couple of times a month. Right. Um, at $18, I'm no. never smoking it again. Right. So it kind of, it's how it falls into the pricing structure. And I, I've had numerous debates this week with
0: people about should price be part of rating cigars? I think it has to be because it factors into how everyone, 99% of people pick their cigar out of the humidor.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's been kind of 50-50 amongst the people I've talked to. About half have said, yes, price should be a factor. Half have said, no, the cigar should stand
0: or fall upon its own. You know, and I think, but, you know, as much as we have tried to eliminate price as a factor in rating cigars, we, we can't really say that it doesn't. Well, I'm going to give it a soft six. So I was going to give it a five and a half. Okay. Yeah, I'm a little more generous. I'll give it a
1: soft six. Okay. I don't think I could get it to a six and a half, but I, I think it's a little better than a five and a half for me. Yeah. At all. And it may be where it's hitting me on the palate. I may need to smoke one someday, first cigar of the day on a totally clean palate.
0: You know, I... Because I, I agree with you. I was sitting here thinking about this, and I, I almost gave it a six, but it just it, it wasn't quite a six. It's probably closer to like a five and three quarters, but we don't do that crap here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just going to hit on a hard six here. I All think
0: right. that's where I'm going to be. So how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and email info at
1: Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.